Welcome to Kuden. This podcast gives you the chance to listen in as a student and master of ninjutsu discuss the principles of warriorship, traditional training, and modern day techniques that are essential to real world self defense. Your hosts are Shidoshi Jeffrey Miller, a 13th degree black belt of ninjutsu, and his student of 10 years, Eric White, a second degree black belt. Shidoshi Miller's martial arts career spans over 30 years, including military service, federal police service, private investigation, and has taken him around the world to train with leading martial arts masters. Kuden allows you to listen in on some of the most highly sought after martial arts knowledge, that which isn't written in books or scrolls, but only transmitted verbally between a master and student. This is Kuden. And welcome to another episode of Kuden. Thank you for joining us.、Uh, and we have, of course, Shidoshi Miller back here for another great episode of Kuden. Lots of cool stuff to talk about in this segment.、Uh, Bushi, Bushi, Japanese is horrible. Bushi no Mei, Eyes of the Warrior. I forgive you. If you're going to butcher English, you might as well、Thank、butcher、you. Japanese while you're at it, right? Bushi no Mei. That's right. Bushi no Mei. Yeah.、Right. The Eyes of the Warrior. And we'll also be taking a look at the five weapon classifications of the ninja. So we're putting what every weapon possible. I mean, from like a steak knife to everything goes in.、Uh, uh, uh, I don't know, a binder. Well, I mean, it all fits into some one of these five categories. Yeah, I, I, I guess so. What, what I'm looking at is classify, classifying or giving folks a、uh, an outline for most weapons. We can still shift into this whole other area of specialty weapons that、mm-hmm. don't really fit, but you'll, you'll see how it all goes. What about hot sauce? Does that fit into hot sauce? Well, it depends on how you use it. Are you using the bottle? Is it a projectile? Are you using the liquid? <laughs> are, you know, what are you doing? Are you sucking it all down and then regurgitating into somebody's face? There's a thought. I just saw something the other day where some wingnut、uh, got the,、uh, the uh, Guinness Book of World Records for how quickly they could down. An entire bottle of hot sauce. Oh. Yeah, like four and a half seconds. What? <laughs> but, he and, was, but he was hurting later. But there's nothing about keeping it down. That's the, yeah, yeah that's how long does it stay、thing. down?、That's、and、right. when it comes back, get out of the way. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and then we'll also talk about using meditation training to improve your self defense ability. So these two things aren't separate, they no, kind of meld. Nothing is separate. Nothing、that's、is separate.、Right. It all fits together. It's all well, like one big puzzle.、Um, and hopefully, what I, I, I'm having people get out of not just these conversations, but when they come to classes and seminars and things like that, is n- not just seeing the scope and breadth of the training because Ninjutsu literally has all this stuff, right?、Mm-hmm. But that, at least the way I focus on things, the training is not compartmentalized.、Mm-hmm. It's not fractured where, okay, we've got this stuff over here, and then we've got this stuff over here, and then. There's a, there's a common set of principles and concepts that if you can get your head wrapped around it, and I, I think part of the training is in teaching you how to think about these things or how to think about how you think about these、hmm. things, right? You're literally changing the way you view things. We're going to start taking a look at that with the Bushido Mei, but it really is about how you process information so that eventually. You really do have this mind like MacGyver or Bond or whatever, where no matter what situation you're in, you know, you simply look around and you can put together an answer. Now, there's that reality that some situations you just can't survive. You just,、mm. you're going to die, right?、Mm. But 
it's not what most people think of. And uh, I don't know if years ago you came to a seminar that we did, and I had one of my teachers in, and we had a session on um, uh, surviving impossible situations. Mm. I mean, that brought a lot of people in just because of the title. Mm -hmm. And we Mm -hmm. knew that, right? It was kind of a marketing ploy. But when we started, when we we opened up the session, the first thing he said was, um, you can't survive impossible situations. They're impossible by their very (laughs) nature, right? So what we're going to take a look at is surviving situations that most people Mm. assume to be impossible. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... And that's really what we're doing. We're not just building a, a, a toolbox full of skills. We're not just learning all of these things, right? There's a mindset behind this that just knows when you can take action and therefore you take action. You have the ability to either use a skill that you already have, use a weapon that you already have, or make use of something in the environment because hmm. you see things differently than the way the average person does, okay? And the ninja also knows when mm, action would not be prudent right now. If I'm not in the world, then these people are less safe than they are right now. So I need to bide my time. I need to hmm. be patient. That's part of what the nin of ninjutsu means, this nin symbol, right? There's mm-hmm. this... This patience to wait it out until the moment is optimal, and then when I act, it's it's a done deal, right? But, of course, the ninja tends to act in a way that you didn't know it was him anyway. But there's still this patience in waiting it out. So two sides to things, hmm. right? But it all begins with our ability to read and assess that person, this situation, the event, this time. It's very different from the way the typical martial artist or self-defense practitioner approaches things. They tend to approach things as a, I've got skills, they can be used right now, let's see what happens. Hmm. Uh, Or there's a panic situation going on. So it's different. This is probably a good place for the noodle cooking advisory that uh, (laughs) by the end of this, your brain could be slightly toasted (laughs) or just fried altogether. So proceed at your own risk. We will uh, we'll, just like one of the camps, right? <laughs> that's that's exactly right. We'll uh, we'll get you updated here on some uh, Kuden news, and we'll come back with Bushi no Mei, Eyes of the Warrior. Are you protecting your company's number one asset? Smart companies know they cannot afford to have one of their employees become a victim of violence on or off the job site. WCI Warrior Concepts International can provide highly sought after self defense training to your employees. Companies whose employees have less stress and feel more confident may experience less absenteeism and have a lower rate of turnover. Along with feeling like you're taking good care of your employees, your company may realize a very direct financial benefit from bringing in a WCI self-defense consultant. Talk with a WCI consultant today about creating a training seminar or program tailored specifically to your company's unique environment. Hospitals, schools, retail stores, no business is immune to workplace violence. This year, empower your employees with a workplace violence self-defense seminar or program from WCI. Learn more now at warrior-concepts-online.com. All right, we're back. It's Kudin, episode nine. This is the ninth episode nine. of There's Kudin. a ninja power number. Yeah, one. how about that? And uh, appropriately time to talk about Bushi no Mei, Eyes of the Warrior, the way the warrior looks at the world. Yes. Much different than... John Doe walking down the street. Much different than people who just take things for granted. And um, 
there's actually five levels to this, okay? Um, five different things that you can progress through. You can make drills to train in each of these areas. Uh, you can do some meditation to enhance things, explore things, that kind of thing, right? Um, but very, very different. And these five levels start with just this pure mechanical sight kind of thing and move toward uh, a universal depth of experience hmm. kind of thing, okay? Um, so let's start with what it isn't, right? <laughs> let's start with... It's not like bushy goggles, right, where you just put it on, everything <laughs> looks totally different than... Dude, I've already you can see attackers you. coming. I've already told you if I could invent something like that or have a drive-up window in my dojo where people can pull up to window number one, pay for technique 26, drive up to window number two, I punch them in the mouth and give them the video for that technique. I'll take a ninja combo with fries. I think I'd make a whole lot more <laughs> because uh, you know whether this offends people or not, human beings are inherently lazy. Oh, they yeah. are inherently lazy, mm -hmm. and if you look at naturally how we're designed. We're always looking for ways to do things easier and easier. Now, that can be a huge benefit, but what it usually does for most people is it makes their ass bigger and their head dumber. Mm. They just slow down until they come to a stop. That's what our Junin Taiso, our, our physical exercising and stretching and body conditioning is designed to combat, right? Mm -hmm. A body in motion stays in motion, right? I mean, you just end up having much more going for you, right? Um, but... If you're not mindful, we come to rest. So, and that that's on one side, but people are inherently lazy, and, and if we can, that's why people are always buying all these things that, you know, they spend this money to do this thing that those little grabber things because they are too freaking lazy to reach onto that second shelf to get their coffee cup, right? <laughs> and then it's in the corner for 15 years because they stopped using it three mm -hmm. days after they bought it, right? Because it cramped my hand. I mean, I didn't know that I'd have to have stronger <laughs> hands to make that thing. Uh, give me a freaking break. So, um, yeah, I think that a lot of people would get involved with the training more if, you know, you and I just did the training for them and gave them the belt. Hmm. Right? <laughs> you know, we'll do it. Here's the video. And, by the way, we'll send you a certificate and a belt. Ooh, where do I sign up? <laughs> yeah. Right? Uh, pay a lot for that. Um, but, anyway, the the way most people view the world, the way they use their sight, right, is very, very different from the way they started out as a child. Everything was new, right? And when they looked at things, they they really examined it with their eyes, right? They took it all in. But there wasn't a distinction between the layering of looking at you and you being in the rest of the room. It was there was this very different thing, right? Mm. How do we know that, right? You don't know the baby see that way. Well, Okay, maybe not. However, at the beginning, when you're learning something brand new, you tend to look at things much differently, right? Mm -hmm. You're more awake. So by the time people hit my – well, never mind. By the time people hit like 14, <laughs> right, 10, 14, whatever, right, um, they've seen most of their day-to-day -day things, and it just becomes a part of the landscape, mm. right? But the other thing that's happening is they have this – subconscious mind loaded with preconceived notions, right? Prior programming from other people, from their own assumptions, mm. lack of knowledge, or education, right? And the problem is now they're not looking at that thing in front of them. They're looking at just enough of that thing that they can make a quick assumption and move on. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, people are forever making assumptions about things, right? When they're when they meet somebody new, right? Um, scientists already know that we will like or dislike somebody based on whether they remind us of somebody in the past that looks like them, acts like them, dresses like them, whatever. So we're not really dealing with that person. We're dealing with somebody from the past, and we've just overlaid this person on top of this image in front of us. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of preconceived things going on in there. There's a lot of filtering going on, going on, right? Um, Some of this is natural, right? We have this section of our brain right behind the ear, right, Uh, on both sides, and it's called Boca's region. Okay, and its job is really to filter out 90% of what you're encountering every day and to only alert you to new things. Mm. Okay, um, it was a survival mechanism, right? I mean, you had to pay attention to those things that would eat you, kill you, whatever, back, right. back in the stone days, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but Boca's region, so it's funny because we have that phrase, right? It's in one ear and out the other, right? Well, Boca's region is right there near the ears, and it's just, it's funny to me. Anyway, but there's this thing where we filter all this stuff if we're not awake and if we haven't really trained ourselves to see, Mm. right? Looking takes an instant. Right. Seeing could take a lifetime, right? Mm. Hearing is a natural function. Listening is a developed trait or skill. Does this make sense? Yeah. Okay. Speech is a natural thing. Communication is... And being able to communicate ideas clearly so that the receiver understands what you're saying. And it's not this general vague thing that you know what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And it's his fault if he doesn't understand it. Uh, that's just, that's this egocentric thing going on. Right. Okay. So the way most people see the world is from either a very hazy, general, lazy, sleepwalk kind of perspective where. They're really too busy, too distracted or whatever to really pay attention, okay? Um, Or they're trying to pay attention, but now it becomes tunnel vision. And they look at something, you know, at the exclusion of everything else. And in a self-defense situation, both of these things can get you killed. Mm. Regardless of what your physical skill level is, if you can't see things correctly, then you're not going to process things correctly and you're not going to act correctly. In our Mikyo training, this comes from, uh, on the Tibetan Wheel of Life, there's this big picture, this big mandala, right? Uh, but part of it is a teaching on these on this 12-fold, 12-fold chain of dependent origination. And it starts with ignorance. And it's not about stupidity. It's about not knowing any better. Mm-hmm. And ignorance begets volition. With volition is just action. So it's garbage in, garbage out kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. If you're not processing things well, if you're not perceiving what's really there with any kind of sense of clarity, how can you act? You're not going to make decisions that are enlightened decisions. You're going to make flawed decisions because your perspective is flawed. Mm -hmm. Therefore, your actions will be flawed. Therefore, and it's just this huge run-on karmic chain of events. Okay? So, Bushinome, right? How does a warrior see how does a warrior look at things okay part of this is with your external organs and part of it is with this insight mm-hmm. in new age speech it would be the third eye kind of thing right but it's this insight okay and then it goes even deeper than that so let's let's kind of take a look at these things okay? yeah 
the five uh, five eyes of the warrior. Okay, starts with Nikogen, okay, and that's that translates roughly as naked eye. Hmm. And what that is is just your sense organ. Okay, so what we're really looking at is the image that you're looking at, light reflecting off this thing, and it's being projected onto the retina of your eye. Mm-hmm. There's no processing. There's no classification. There's no name and form. Nothing. You're simply looking at what's in front of you. And because you're not filtering, because you're not classifying, anything like that, you're simply seeing what's mm. there. The movements, mm. the size, the shape, that kind of thing. Sure. Okay? Just what's in front of you. Right? Now, what's difficult and what you can do with your meditation training or just with your everyday training, and a lot of people believe that you need to sit down, put your legs in this twisted pretzel position, put your hands in a certain magical position, close your eyes, and that's meditation. But in reality, meditation is a state of mind, hmm. and you can do it walking, you can do it communicating like this or whatever, okay? So uh, when when I say that you're looking at this object, right, if I'm looking at you, people assume that you're the object of my meditation. Mm-hmm. But Nikogen has to do with the image being projected onto the retina. And you're not the only part of the image, or you're not the only image on the retina. Mm-hmm. You looked at a, a book on sight, right? What they'll often do is they'll have, I don't know, one book I saw had a had a, a just kind of an outline of a pine tree. Mm-hmm. Right? And there's this person, and it's showing how the, the image goes through the eye, the lens of the eye and actually gets inverted right, gets and goes under your retina upside down. And then right? your brain, your brain right figures it up. Yeah. That's right, right? But here's this pine tree. But the reality is that there's a whole world around this pine tree, okay? So Nikogen is the ability to see everything within my peripheral range hmm. because that's what's touching my retina. It's not necessarily where my consciousness goes. It has nothing to do with consciousness direction or anything like that. It's simply sight consciousness. It's simply what recognizing what's there. So I'm talking to you and my eyes are pointing at you. And we often talk about this in training with this shizen no komai, right? This natural komai. Mm-hmm. That the eyes soften. They're directed in at a certain thing, but I'm not staring at that thing. I'm actually softening my gaze and picking up everything within my peripheral field because I want to, I also want to recognize motion. And now I'm maximizing the ability that my eye has to send signals to my brain and actually maximizing my brain's ability to process more information. Mm. Okay. So if my sight consciousness is focused towards center and on you, now I'm only using those, that part of the eye that rods or cones or whatever it is, I can never keep it straight, mm-hmm. where it's focused on color and detail and all that kind of stuff. But in a fight, I should be geared more toward motion, mm-hmm. which is the black and white peripheral stuff that picks up motion much, much better. So we trade off color and detail for the ability to see better motion. Hmm. Okay? But the idea here at Nikogen is it's just raw uh, raw input mm-hmm. through the sense receptor. And I'm using the eyes now but this bushi no mei can be can be extended to the sense of touch, hearing, all that kind of stuff, right? So it's just recognizing this thing. Mm-hmm. There's no brain work in here. There's no assessing, analyzing, scientific twisting, or mm. the, nothing like that. It's just seeing. Okay. 
which is very, very difficult for a lot of people. It can be hard to, to shut that part of your brain up, like just absolutely. But that's part of what Zen type meditation is for. Mm. It's to stop the internal chatter. As a matter of fact, um, the the word in, in Tendai for this part of this type of meditation, Shikan, right? The she part, right? She, she, uh, that kind of thing. This Samatha or Shamatha meditation means stopping. Hmm. Okay. So what you're doing is you're quieting the internal chatter so you can see more clearly. Hmm. You're not telling yourself a story about what you think it is. You're looking at what is there. Okay. So the first step is in being able to register more of what's in front of you. And what ends up happening is the world takes on a very different depth. Your experience of your world is much more, there's much more depth to it because when I look at the world, um, I was just talking about this to students the other night and the best description I could come up with is if you ever go into a museum or anything and you've looked at a diorama as opposed to a painting of a, of a battle or a situation or something like that, mm-hmm. so you've got this three-dimensional rendition. looks very different than if that were on a painting. Yeah? Yeah. Most people process their world in a two-dimensional way. It has height and it has width, and they assume depth. Hmm. The warrior sees height, width, depth, and more. Hmm. Okay? So, but Bushim Nome is just, or the, the, the Nikogen, the, the naked eye, is just about this whole depth thing. So when I am looking at the world, the ceiling, the floor, the, your spatial relationship between these things and all that is is there. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not thinking about it left brain intellectually, but that's that's what's there. So hmm. from the very beginning of the way the eye touches the light that being reflected in, all that kind of stuff, it's just mm-hmm. it's very different, right? Uh, and then the next one is Tengen. Okay, Tengen is uh, literally means a heavenly eye, right? Hmm. But what we're really looking at is kind of this broader perspective, this bigger picture. It's like standing on a perch and looking at the area. So this big picture kind of thing, okay? If you're sitting on the 50-yard line in the first in the front row, you can see the guys are up close and everything, but you're also looking at the butts of the team that's <laughs> yeah. right in front of yeah. you, right? Um, sometimes it's better to be in the cheap seats up top where you can see the entire field. Sure. You can see the play playing out. You don't miss something because there's bodies in your way and all that, right? Mm-hmm. So this Tengen is the ability to see this bigger picture so that things interact, right? So mm-hmm. now we're actually looking at things from this big picture objective viewpoint. You get it? We can see karmic things we can see how we can see things inter- interacting. Right. Okay. The next one is Egan. Okay. Uh, Egan is insight based. It's in the the um, what's call this the insightful eye, the um, the eye of perspective. Okay. So now karma really starts to come into this. This cause and effect. Right. Um, and based on knowledge and experience, so now it's not just what you see with your eyes, but now there's this knowledge and experience. And the bigger or the, the grander the base of knowledge that you have, the more training you have, the more experiences you've had about the way the world really works, right? This stuff is actually working in the background, hmm. just like the filters that most people have. But most people stop learning about their world 
when they're a teenager and they think they know everything, mm. right? And what they really have is, an, is one or two answers to the most common things that occur in their life, and everything else is a supposition. Mm. Everything is an assumption. Right. Right. So what they do is they go, well, you know, you've seen one tree, you've seen them all. You've seen one cloud, you've seen them all. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you've been to one part of this world, you've seen them all. Uh, I'm quite the avid traveler, and I'm, that's just not true, right? <laughs> yeah. It's just not true. Um, so uh, from, from this insight-based thing, there's this sense of knowing that when you see these things interacting, you know what the outcome is going to be, okay? Uh, in our Mikio training, one of the uh, one of the bodies of knowledge or study is in understanding the seven traits of an enlightened mind. Okay, the seven traits of a of a Buddha, mm-hmm. of an enlightened person, and one of those things is being able to look at anything and instantly know what produced it, and if unaffected, what it will in turn produce in the future. Okay, mm-hmm. so this again is very much like this. It's this insight. It's this prajna or hanya, insight that leads to to wisdom mm-hmm. uh, that we talk about in Mikyo, and it, here's an analogy, right? I'm standing on a street corner. Right? Maybe it's a blind corner mm-hmm. for traffic, right? And you see two cars traveling along, and they're heading for the same intersection. And in an instant, without processing, you don't look at them and go, well, based on their speed and blah, blah, blah. Right? In an instant, you know they're going to hit. They're going to run right into each other. Because mm-hmm. you, you can see. They can't see, whatever. But there's no left-brain analytical processing to this. There's just a quick, you see it, and there's a sense of knowing, mm. right? And we've all had those moments, right? We walk away going, I knew that was going to happen. Mm-hmm. The problem with most people is they didn't take any action right. to change the karmic outcome or to affect it. They just waited and watched and hmm. and then later they could sound profound. I just knew that was going to happen. See, yeah. told you so. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, if you knew it was going to happen, then you purposely let me fail or you had... No, you lack the ability to actually step in and toss right. a secondary karmic, you know, effect in there that mm-hmm. could alter things a little bit, right? But anyway, there's this there's this sense of knowing, okay? Uh, you know, so all of these things so far, I mean, this really leads up to a to a decent level of skill, right? Um, in, in a in a self defense situation, right? Just that naked eye part, nikogen, right? We need to be able to see what what's in front of us very clearly, mm-hmm. right? We need to see as much of it as possible. Still no processing, but we need to be able to take it in. Right. And again, right? Looking at the situation, including myself being in the diorama, right, as part of this three, four, ten-dimensional depth of experience, right, to see, to be, you know, to be able to relate to the karmic, if I do this, he does that, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But you don't have the time to be thinking that way. Yeah. You just You just recognize it, right? And then there's this insight, right? He starts to take a step or there's something about what's going on and you just know he's coming. There's mm-hmm. that moment where you just know it's happening, but he didn't send off a signal. Right. right. So there starts to be this connection, right? And then the next level is Shingen. Shingen is the compassionate eye, okay? This is why a warrior acts. Under what conditions, when, and for whom, mm. Okay. It's selfless. Action is rarely because he's pissing me off or because he's attacking me. Mm. I can take on a whole lot more, and I will take on a whole lot more. But if you attack one of my friends or family, 
we have a problem because they can't defend themselves the way I can. They can't let it roll off as much as I can right. or whatever. There are certain situations that I just, I've just i decided that I act under. But, it's again, it's selfless, right? So now we're coming at this very deeper level of how I see myself as a protector and what gets my attention and where my skills get directed. Mm. Okay? So this is part of contemplation meditation, right? You sit down and you decide how these things work. Right. Uh, one of the moral questions I ask my students is, uh, you know, you've developed all these skills. Okay, So, Eric, you've developed all these skills. Right. And you're walking along and you see one of your friends being attacked by somebody. Mm-hmm. Right. Maybe the fist haven't f- started flying yet, but they're being attacked. Right. And you know that your friend has no skills to be able to handle this. They're in way over their head and they're about they're going to get creamed. Right. So you've been studying for how long? Oh, <laughs> Ten years or better. Close to it. Yeah. yeah. So you decide, you know, you've got the skills to be able to handle this, so you're going to intercede. You're going to step between these two. You're going to let your friend go home, and you're going to deal with this because, obviously, our goal is to negotiate things so that we all go home safe and happy. Mm-hmm. You're not necessarily going to step in just so you can cream this guy because, uh, you know that old saying, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Right. Just because we have these skills doesn't mean we have to use them. Mm-hmm. Right. But some people, it's an itchy thing. Right. But anyway, you intercede. So here's the moral dilemma. Your friend's in over his head. He's going to get creamed. Right. Right? He's trying to figure a way out, but he can't get out. You step in, and he suddenly sees you as an ally and decides he's going to jump on this guy because his friend's there to back him up. What do you do? Mm. See, well, then you have that. You have almost a battle on two fronts. There's the moral. There's that moral thing right. that I throw at my students. Okay? Do you know what my answer is? I would say something to do with your friend, not necessarily the attacker. I walk away. Mm. Now, that sounds cold to most people because, see, it's my friend. It's my wife. It's my whatever. Okay? Um, I'm going to protect them no matter what. Uh, No. See, here's the compassionate side. And compassion is not empathy or sympathy. Compassion is giving somebody what they need to learn a lesson or to progress to the next level. Okay? When I step in to intercede, what am I doing? I'm giving my friend his life and safety back. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take on this hardship for him, and I'm sending him home. When I step in, what did my friend do? Got all charged up. Oh, I've got a buddy now. And he abused yeah. our friendship, mm-hmm. and he put me in harm's way because he just escalated things to a level that I was trying to avoid. Mm-hmm. He abused our friendship. Do you see where I'm going with this? Yeah. Okay. So I give him back his situation. This sounds very odd to most people. But we're talking about true morals and true ethics. Mm -hmm. Not learning skills so I can be the same asshole bully that I started training or the same criminal abuser or combatant that I started training to protect myself against. I didn't develop skills so I could be that person mm-hmm. and be as, quote-unquote, strong as that person. I developed these skills as a last line of defense should everything else fail. See the difference? Mm-hmm. Okay. I stepped in to help my friend as a moral, ethical, I've got the skills, he doesn't. Right. Dude, you go home, I'll negotiate this. If it goes bad, I'll take the brunt of the thing. Right. I didn't step in to help you. 
if I was stepping in to help my friend, the attacker would have never seen it coming. I would have come up behind him, punched him at the base of his skull. Mm -hmm. He'd have been unconscious, grab my friend and go home. I interceded mm. to protect my friend and to deal with the situation. This guy would have never known that I was present if I was going to just jack him and take off. Mm -hmm. Do you get the difference here? Yeah. Okay. This is a this is a way the warrior sees things. And I'm not saying that my way of seeing it is better than anybody else's way of seeing it. I'm talking about compassion even for the attacker because I'm going to step in and give this person a chance to go home. Right. Safely. Okay? This doesn't have to turn into a fight. I don't even know what the issue was between these two. My yeah. friend might have said something to jack this guy. Right. And that, I have no idea what it is, but I'm mm -hmm. stepping in to send my friend home. Right. He comes over my shoulder and starts going at it. Right. He's either going to get an elbow up into his jaw to shut him up <laughs> or I'm walking right. home. I'm walking sure. away. Yeah. Okay. So again, this is why we act, mm -hmm. knowing and being very, very clear about what you're all about at a very deep level and knowing when you'll act and when your skills are okay. Mm. Right? One of the first lessons that students get when they come into the school is this lesson of respect right? and how that's our first line of self-defense. Okay? So the idea is that no matter how much we ever learn, my skills are reserved for that person who is going to attack me no matter how nice I am. I just... Nothing I do on a benevolent level is going to work. Right. And I've got no other choice. So it's ultimately not fighting ever. Mm-hmm. You get it? Right. Okay? Yeah. And then the last level is Hogan. Okay? Hogan means law I, and this is about a universal truth kind of thing. Mm. Okay? Um, and it's about depth of, depth of experience, and it's just all these other things continuing to be worked on at a, at a deeper and deeper, broader and broader level. Okay? Um, to the point where you, you just don't think about these things, right? You are you are a conduit for universal justice. But see, I said a conduit for. You're not a self uh, self described keeper of the faith, right? right? You didn't decide what is right and wrong, and therefore you're because that again, that's right back to egocentric yeah. bullshit. Okay. The more the more you work on things and the deeper of a connection you have with these other areas, you recognize what's usable, what's not. Hmm. Okay. Um, one last thing, just to round this kind of thing off with this with this um, this Hogan, right? Uh, personally, I'm dealing with a situation in my life where uh, I've got a 16 year old that I love her to death. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, been divorced from her mom for a long, long time, and we were inseparable buddies. Okay, well, we hit a point in life where she, I knew she needed certain lessons for responsibility and things like that. And mm -hmm. um, what it comes down to is, mom always says yes, dad mm -hmm. always says, well, let's balance this new thing that you want with what you're currently doing, mm -hmm. with what the family has going on, right? That kind mm -hmm. of thing. Well, that's not good enough. Mm -hmm. Okay, so. Uh, what we have now is a situation where uh, the, the whole visitation thing was changed from, from joint, mm. equal, equal kind of visitation to uh, now I get twice a week uh, at my daughter's, at a 16-year-old's schedule when it's convenient for her, mm. okay? 
um, except that I haven't seen her in five weeks. Wow. Okay. Um, now, I have a friend who says, you know what, screw that. You take her to court, you teach her what the value of a court order is, and you, you know, mm. make it very, very clear. Except from my perspective, what will that do right, what's that? to the bond that's already strained? Yeah. Right. So what I'm choosing to do is the whole nin side and wait it out because I was a teenager once. Right. I also understand the influences she's under. And at some point, she's going to miss things. Right. And I'm going to approach it from a very different direction. Okay. Uh, my job as a parent has always been as a guide. Okay. And discipline, at one point, used to be grounding and spankings. Right. Now, it's too old to spank, physically. Mm. But there are ways to get her to see things where she believes it's her idea and she recognizes that maybe she made an error in judgment, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm steering the whole time, but I'm not being outwardly obvious. And this this Hogan is really where we transition from the Bushi, the samurai mindset. Mm. Everything's good all the way up to Shingen, Mm -hmm. right? We start moving into Hogan, we're now looking at things from a very different perspective. Right, because action is not always physical action. Communication is not always direct. Right, right. Do you get the idea? Mm-hmm. Right. So we, we really start to look at things. The bubble kind of opens up. Right. The bubble didn't burst. What was contained within the bubble is now free to expand out into this infinite space. The bubble only burst because we're focused on this fragile skin holding yeah. everything in. Mm-hmm. Right, and again, I'm getting all philosophical and woo-woo on people, but <laughs> there's that noodle bit of getting baked kind of thing, right? Anyway, so this Bushi no Mei, right? We've got this Nico Gen, this naked eye. Just can you just see what's in front of you without filtering it, right? Ten Gen, can you take in the whole situation, right, without having to do something mentally with it to process it, to assume, to whatever, to impose your own goals or your own beliefs or whatever on these things, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be awfully presumptive on my part. It would be freaking rude for me to assume that when you do something that you're really doing it for X, Y, Z right. because that's how I would do it or that's why I would do it, okay? When I – and I, I know it's spooky because it happens in the dojo all the time. People look at me like, I hate when you do that, right? But I'll see an action or whatever and I'll – just say, now be careful, you know, ego's getting in the way or whatever. Um, don't do it for this reason or that reason. Or uh, you were about to do that, before, even before they took an action. And you've seen that a lot, right? Um, and people think that I'm reading minds or whatever. <laughs> it's just I'm not imposing me mm-hmm. on this thing that I'm seeing. And I've seen enough of these things from different personality types and different motivations and, and things like that that, it's, it becomes so blatantly obvious if you just learn to see. Mm. Not assuming, not classifying, anything like that. You just start to recognize these things because when you meet somebody, very quickly, I can read their personality type. I don't classify them mm-hmm. because there's so many subtypes and all that. But, right. oh, you know, and it just, it just becomes a part of the whole thing. Mm. And the way they carry their body to the way they shake my hand to the speech patterns that they use to the 
verbal cues that tell me which of their sensory receptors is their primary way of handling the world, mm. uh, all these things, right? Um, so it just becomes something, right? And that, of course, leads then to this again, this insight, right? And you just start to recognize these karmic things, this cause and effect. Nothing happens out of nowhere, and nothing happens in a vacuum. Right. Okay? And then we move on to the Shingen, uh, which is really this why. Why, and, you know, why do I act? Why do I, uh, when will I use my skills? When, you know, how will I treat these different situations? Right? What motivates me into action? And it's compassionate. It's, it's compassionate. It's about the greater good, not my own self-interest. Mm-hmm. That makes sense? Yeah. Okay. And then there's this whole, again, this depth of experience, and there's just this letting go where, you know, just say la vie. <laughs> Things are what they are. But I can still guide them. And it's kind of like the serenity prayer in Christianity, right? Knowing what you can change, knowing what you can't change, but what's most important is the wisdom to know the difference kind of thing. Right, right. So there's, hmm. you know, there's this overriding kind of universal thing. Hatsumi Sensei describes it as the past masters talking to him or the mm. past masters guiding him, right? It's not like, you know, Toda Sensei pops out of the ether and goes, <laughs> Hatsumi Sensei, what I want you to do. Uh, yeah, it's just right. He just feels this guidance that this is the right thing to do. Mm. That's the right thing to do because it leads to harmony, because it leads to truth, it leads to justice, it leads to all these positive qualities. Mm-hmm. It's not solely about me. Do I benefit? Of course I benefit, but that's not my primary impetus. Right? Yeah. So that's all I have to say about that at the moment. Well, by now your brain's <laughs> probably got that good, nice, toasted, golden brown thing going on. By the end of all this, you're going to be it's gonna be like a marshmallow on fire. Uh, but we, we're going to give you a short break here, and we'll come back with the five weapon classifications of the ninja. Good stuff. So, you want to train with Shidoshi Miller, but you're far from Sunbury, Pennsylvania. Shidoshi Miller is making it easy for you to get the powerful lessons of ninja training, self-defense, and personal development wherever you are. Join Shidoshi Miller's fast-growing group of online students. Break free of the limited free articles that can only scratch the surface of true ninja training using the power of the Internet. Be a part of live online training seminars and take advantage of Shidoshi Miller's video series like the 12 DVD series, Advanced Sanshin and Kyanapo Home Study Course. Learn more about online training, accessing video training series, and even how you can bring Shidoshi Miller to you by logging on to warrior-concepts-online.com. And we're back with Kuden, and we've got our uh, second segment here about the five weapon classifications of the ninja, putting... Uh, not not closing in or grouping necessarily uh, different things because I, I I bet you're going to tell me some of the things cross over from one category to another or something like that. But uh, oh me, we've got yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here's what it is, but it isn't. Uh, <laughs> but we've got five weapon classifications. That's where we'll start this segment. Remember our joke before our this Kuden show. I, this is going to be uh, applicable to folks that are probably outside the country or whatever listening. Yeah. But uh, you know. Uh, we try to keep this show personable, right? We try yeah. to keep it so it's it's you know it has a has a, well, a little bit of an edge to entertaining with my you know let's bake your noodle kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but our joke before everything started was this is like a martial arts version of the Bob and Tom show, yeah, you know, or whoever your favorite comedian you know uh, <laughs> morning show guys are, right? That 
uh, invites the uh, the comedians in or whatever. We just save money by doing it ourselves. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. <laughs> and well, anyway, okay. So five weapon classifications. Um, just keep in mind that this, along with every other list that's a true ninja list, yeah, is open ended. Okay, so this is not an implication that that, that this is all there is. What I do for students is we have this classification system uh, that is my own, by the way, or it's kind of modified from something I borrowed from a teacher mm-hmm. way back in the day, right? Because um, this art is ever-changing. But it's designed to help with the new way of learning how to think mm. process. Okay. Okay. Because from my prior experience in martial arts, and I've been training in the martial arts since 1975. Whoa. How old are you? Never mind. Don't answer. So, yeah, 75, and then I was in what was called junior high school, because that sounded much more cool than middle school. Right. Right. Middle school sounds like you're in freaking limbo somewhere, right? Yeah. But anyway, um, uh, what I experienced was people actually took pride, and here's here's that classifying and crystallizing things again, right? Right. That, you know, our style has, you know, five chokes, 14 weapons, eight throws, Whatever there was this this is what defined our style mm. right what defines ninja two is the frickin' inability to define ninja <laughs> right um, now you can define it because ninja two uh one of the best descriptions I've seen from this is uh, uh from um Kasem uh Kasem new book Kasem mm-hmm. yeah okay um he has his new book out and this guy's a scholar. I mean, he's no, that's his job. He's a PhD in researching Japanese uh, history and these martial traditions and things like that. I mean, that's what he does. Wow. Right? Yeah. So he's had access to things that most people just have not had access to. He gets letters of introduction from Hatsumi Sensei to go. He's seen Mikio texts that aren't even seen by high-level Japanese scholars or monks that wow. you know clean the building or whatever. Right. Wow. So, um, but anyway. Uh, his description, which really is what I've been thinking all along, is the ninja takes conventional things and applies them in unconventional ways. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what that means is that the ninja actually has to know the standard way of doing things, standard bushi skills, standard warrior skills, before you can even approach ninjutsu because Nijutsu is a variation on everything else. If you don't understand the standard way of doing it, one, how do you defend against it? Right. And two, how do you modify it? Right? People want to jump right into Nijutsu when even the way Takamatsu Sensei taught Hatsumi Sensei, right? What he said was, Ninpo is beyond Budo. It's, it's what happens when you understand Budo and then you go beyond it. Because everything is a transcendence thing. Right? Mm-hmm. It's in Mikyo. It's, it's the way of nature, right? Everything, you know, if you're really growing, then you're supposed to transcend the previous stage. Unfortunately, what people try to do is they hold on to it because it validates them in some way. Okay? So what ends up happening is, you know, again, here's this compartmentalization that I talked about when the show first opened, right? People want to compartmentalize their training. There's this stuff over here and there's that stuff over there. So there's bow, there's long staff training over here, there's sword training over here, this is on-arm training, this is ground fighting, and you've got different principles, concepts, and strategies for each one. That's got to be a worse noodle bake than 
what I'm trying to convey to people. Yeah. What's difficult for people is that they need to go beyond the way they were taught to think by parents, by early educators, by the academic school system, mm. which compartmentalized everything. Right. Right. You had biology class, you had history class or whatever, um, because it's just that's the way it was taught. So you were taught to see things mm-hmm. and to process things in a compartmentalized way. So here's the here's the the personal development book from the bookshelf at the store. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not your fault. <laughs> However, dot, 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 now that I've told you this is going on, if you keep doing shit the same way, it is your fault. <laughs> if you yeah. don't know any better, you don't know that something exists. It's in the realm of your unknown unknown. You don't even know it exists. You can't do anything with it. Right. If you know it exists... Then you have a choice. It's now in your realm of the known. It's either in the realm of the known known. I know how to speak English, so I do it. Right? Yeah. I know how to tie my shoes. So it's something I know that I know. But then there's this, in, in the realm of the known, there's this this known unknown. I know that Russian, the language Russian, exists. I just can't speak it. I, I know that I don't know it. Yeah. Now I have a choice. Do I want to learn it or do I want to leave it in my realm of the known unknown? Yeah. That kind of thing. Sure. Right. So what I'm getting at here is if it's in your realm of the unknown unknown, you don't know it exists, then okay, you can't do anything with that. Right. Right? You're trapped in ignorance. Again, not stupidity. You just don't know. Sure. Right? But if you know, it's kind of like doctors who smoke, doctors who overeat, that kind of thing. And they're still fat. It's that willful ignorance, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's a conscious choice. that you. But they choose because, see, that makes me feel good. Right. I like deep fried fat cheese or Oreo cookies or whatever it is, right? So if you know there's a better way, but you don't practice, you don't train, you don't develop yourself, and you don't use it, then it is your fault. Okay? After a certain age, when you start learning other ways to do things, right, you need to drop that teenage mind that said, you know, mom and dad don't know any better, blah, 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 right? It's their fault that I'm this way, and I have to follow these rules, and... And yeah. this is the way our family is. Fantastic. But if you're 18 or 20 or 35 or 50 or whatever, and you've long since moved out, and you haven't changed anything, you're still doing things the same way, and you know better, I don't want to hear it. I really don't want to hear it. Okay? So, yeah. anyway, um, in this context, we're back to weapons again. Okay? Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> we're back to weapons. <laughs> but um, there are all these weapons. And in Ninjutsu, Jesus criminy. How many freaking weapons? There's a lot of weapons. This is before we even get into this classification called Ningu, which are ninja-specific weapons like the caltrops that you can drop on the ground or the needles that you can blow. Yeah. Or a lot of these specialty weapons like uh, like this piece of unrefined sheet metal that might have been laying around uh, you know, from armor or from building or whatever that the kotori was specialized in using. It was called a tepon, right? Uh-huh. And you use the edges and the points of it. It'd be like grabbing a binder or a hardback book, All right? Right. And you could smack them with the sides of it, but the edges and the points on the corners are just much more effective. Right. Right? So that's, there's these, there are these specialty weapons, okay? I'm not going to talk about those today. In this five classification system, what we're really looking at are these weapons that you're probably going to run into more conventionally. You mm. can make other things fit, okay? And a lot of these Ningu do fit. Yeah. But you need to, again, not be fixated 
on what something looks like and understand its function. Mm. So I'm not going to list, uh, you know, a long staff and uh, the sword and the shuriken and things like that, okay? Instead, I'm going to discuss stick weapons, bladed weapons or edged weapons, mm-hmm. right? Projectile weapons, flexible weapons, and combination weapons, okay? That's your five cl- five categories, okay? So a stick weapon is anything like that. It could be a long staff, but it's not a spear. Mm-hmm. It could be a pen or a Kubaton keychain. Mm. Well, they're not ninja weapons. Who the hell said? <laughs> right? Right. Just because it's not laying in a museum somewhere. Yeah. Okay. What What's important is that this has a certain quality or characteristic to it. Right. It can be used for bludgeoning or leveraging or whatever. Right? A ruler, a closet dowel rod, right? Your, uh, crowbar or something like that, anything like that, right? It has this quality to it, right? So it's a stick or stick-like weapon, Mm -hmm. okay? Uh, I might put the Tepon into that classification, but I won't, Mm -hmm. okay? It's a solid item, but most people would look at it. Well, see, it has an edge on it, so it's an edge weapon. Yeah, but it's not an unrefined edge, so is it an edge weapon? It might be able to cut, but it really depends on how you wield it. And then what happens if you throw it? Ah, now we're at the projectile. Right? See see where you're going with this, right? (laughs) Okay, so uh, edged weapons, bladed weapons, right, are just that. Could be a sword, could be a knife, but it's not a halberd. Mm -hmm. Okay, if you understand a halberd, right? Big, long stick with a sword on the edge of it. right? You have a naginata, which is a long staff with a short blade. Mm -hmm. And you have a nagamaki, which is a short staff with a long blade. Right. Right, so these are traditional things for those people who like to fixate on only doing the classical things. Like mm-hmm. you're gonna find a freaking Nagamaki laying around on Tenth Avenue when some jerkwad <laughs> yeah, jumps right. you, and, yeah. you know, at 10 p.m. at night. Where the hell is my Nagamaki? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I left it at home. Damn it! Right. <laughs> I thought about bringing it today too, and I just right. I didn't grab it. Right. Um... <laughs> Keys, okay. wallet, Nagamaki, and then I get That's it. right. So anyway, there, anything that's an edged weapon. Right? right. I mean, it could also be my debit card. Mm. Okay? Yeah. Once you really learn cutting dynamics, you don't need an edged weapon to have a honed edge. Mm-hmm. Okay? Uh, you ever see anybody in, in the class get cut by one of the wooden knives that we have um, when I'm doing something to them or get a serious abrasion or whatever, and I'm doing things lightly? Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I remember one time I had this um, wooden um, wooden knife and uh, uh, was doing something to get away from somebody coming in to cut, and mm-hmm. we just did this little cut at the elbow joint to you know simulate shutting down the arm, right? Um, this wooden knife that just had a, I mean, we actually rounded the edge so it wouldn't, yeah, would be safe, right? Yeah, cut right through, <laughs> went right through the skin, right? And it wasn't like it snagged a. a a splinter or anything, it just yeah. it caused this cut. The huh. better you are at the skill, the less refined the edge has to be. Right. Right. So right. debit cards, anything like that. Right. So you have these these things that are capable of uh, stabbing or cutting. Right. Broken bottle, piece of glass that you picked up, mm-hmm. anything like that. Right. So the idea here is that you're seeing outside. You start with the realm of the conventional. Here, are these standard classified 
pieces, right? And then you move out and understand the essence mm. of the weapon, the essence of the skill, the essence of the technique. Kotsu, essence. Mm. Okay, it's one of the three primary keys for mastery in Nijutsu. Okay, Kotsu. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so we've got stick, we've got bladed, right? We've got projectile. Okay, shoot again. Traditionally, the arrow, right? Um, even Mitsubishi, blinding powder, right? Caltrops, the little spike things that you throw down that you know somebody could step on or whatever, right? Can be thrown. Okay. Um, playing cards again, my debit card, whatever, right? Um, bullets, the ultimate in projectile weapons, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea is. If you're using it in a projectile way, you asked me about hot sauce earlier. Mm-hmm. Okay, we've got this uh, bottle of sriracha sitting here in the studio. <laughs> and it's just freaking awesome. I mean, I'm I'm a hot sauce person, right? Yeah. But it's a it's a squeezable plastic bottle with a thin nozzle at the top. Oh, you can get some assistance out of that, <laughs> right? Yeah. And here's some pepper spray for you. It's pepper goop. Yeah. Right. Um, but you know, you ask is you know. Is that a projectile weapon? Well, if I'm using it that way, the liquid absolutely is a projectile weapon. It doesn't matter if I throw water out of a cup mm-hmm. or whatever, the water is a projectile weapon. Yeah. Okay? Albeit a passive one, a distracting one, but it's still a weapon. Right. Okay. If I'm using the cup or the bottle, now to me it's a stick weapon mm-hmm. because it's a bludgeoning object. Right. So when I look at stick type things, I'm looking at bludgeoning items. Or things that can be used to ram or pinch somebody against its surface or things mm-hmm. like that. It's a solid thing. Yeah. Right? When I'm looking at an edged weapon, I'm looking at something that can stab, pierce, or cut. Right? Uh, projectile, where it can be thrown. Okay? Flexible weapons, belts, chains, the Kasari Fundo, Manriki Kasari, whatever you want to call it. Right? Things that, you know, ropes, cords, telephone cord. Uh, your cell phone doesn't have one, so unfortunately, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, you know, we're we've got headsets on right now. It's got this awesome cord that's coming away from here, right? So um, here we've got this great flexible weapon, right? And uh, I've been attacked by my headphone cord on yeah. more than one occasion. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to address that because I gave you rank. Uh, <laughs> so, so anyway, um, but uh, you know, taking off uh, taking off a t-shirt and using it like a strangulation thing or even a net or whatever mm-hmm. you can catch somebody or deflect things or whatever it's it's a it can be a flexible weapon right mm-hmm. so the mm-hmm. idea is it's flexible by its very nature right okay but what about those things that is like the halberd like the naginata right uh like nunchucks or the three sectional staff or whatever it's flexible and a stick it's a stick with a edged weapon mm-hmm. now we're in the realm of combination weapons mm. right? okay this is that catch-all thing, right? Um, weapons that, and what you'll start to find is that many weapons can actually temporarily slip into the realm of combination, right? Because for a ninja, there are ways to throw a staff. And I don't mean like a javelin. I mean a way to throw a staff to disarm a swordsman, right? Mm-hmm. There are ways to throw stick weapons. There's uh, ways to throw the short sword, right, as an initiation kind of thing. There are ways to use the shuriken not as a projectile weapon, but as a handheld stabbing and cutting weapon. Right? Mm-hmm. So, again, you progress to these higher levels, but it's a way to look at things differently. So, again, we're still related to the Bushinome, but it's about being able to see beyond the obvious. 
taking these conventional things that people tend to compartmentalize and categorize and being able to see beyond that, mm-hmm. right, to these other things. You know, uh, more combination weapons, Kasari Gama, Kyokutsu Shoge, that hook dagger with the 18 feet of rope and the, and the ring and all that. You know, the conventional way of using it is to hold the, the dagger part, which is, was actually traditionally a broken kamayari, a spear, mm. and then this naginawa, this rope for throwing or binding, was attached to it. it has this hook or ring on the end of it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, very crude. But, uh, you know, the traditional way to hold it or the standard way of holding it, even for a ninja weapon, is to hold the, the hook dagger, right? Gather up the cord so it's in a special way so that you can get more distance if you need it and all that, mm-hmm. and to swing the ring, mm-hmm. right? But what about doing it the other way where you're swinging the hook dagger? Mm. You know, what about holding the ring and the dagger or putting them into your belt where the dagger is in, you know, the handle's in your belt so the the, the spear part is sticking up. Mm-hmm. The ring is looped over that. And then you've got this cord gathered up and draped over the mm-hmm. the uh, thing, so you don't have to take it out of your belt. You can use the cord part as a flexible weapon and take the guy down without ever drawing the dagger. Right. Right. Or hmm. you got these things. Right. One time in class we were uh, we put it in in the belt and then we did unarmed stuff. But as I got away from this person, um, what I did was I moved my body and his arm in a way that I cut him with this thing that's sticking out of my belt. Hmm. Right, so it's about being able to bring things to. It's how are you using it, right? Right. So there are these combination things, but and again, there is this whole other range of things that, you know, do they really fit? Right. Where do caltrips really fit? Where does a uh, teppan really fit? By the time you get to that level where you're you're comfortable with using things like this, it's not going to matter. But if you're still in the lower levels of thinking and skill level and all that kind of stuff, you want to know. You have to know. Where it goes because, <laughs> because you know, whatever. This regurgitated information somehow defines you. It gives you some kind of validation and importance. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying you uh, necessarily. What I'm This is just a generalized you. Yeah. But ego needs to do this thing. Whenever you find yourself really trying to cramp something into a space and make it, make it perfect mm-hmm. or whatever, that's ego just trying to control things because when you can do that, then you've got something that other people don't and that makes you special and they're stupid. It's a, it's the me, here, them, there kind of thing. Right. Okay. Hmm. I went and took weapons and made it philosophical. Anyway. Sorry about that. <laughs> but anyway, do you, do you get that? So there are these yeah. five weapon classifications, not five weapons, not 5,000 weapons or whatever. Of all the weapons, you can bring them into these five general classifications. Now it's more tactical. Now it's more strategic based in the way you think about things rather than technically based. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes you a little bit longer to get your mind wrapped around this kind of thinking. But once you do, oh, my God, you can pick up anything. Right. A push broom now becomes uh, a battle hammer or uh, a naginata or a, a bisento. Right. With mm-hmm. this big, huge blade on the end, you've got this stick. Right. People want to stay focused on classical weapons. I learned the bisento not to get focused on classical weapons, but so I could balance something that was very off balance. Right. So now I can use a push broom because I've learned how to lever this big, heavy, off-balance weapon. And, you know, the guy gets bristles to his face or the, you know, big, heavy head of the thing hits him in the head or mm-hmm. whatever. So now I can use that or shovels or, you know, other garden implements or things that are just off-balance. Right? Mm-hmm. So the classical weapon is learned so that I can use things that are like it, not that are sticks with blades, 
but have a certain balance to them and a certain uh, strategic use, mm-hmm. right? Uh, more things now become a weapon, right? So anyway. I'm sure there's a lot of questions, and you can direct those simply through an email to Shidoshi Miller, warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com, and uh, you can find a lot on the website, too, uh, a lot of links to different ebooks that uh, Shidoshi Miller has on, on topics like this and others. And that website, again, warrior-concepts-online.com. Coming up next, we're going to talk using meditation training to improve your self-defense abilities. That's next on Kuden. How would you like to learn secrets most martial arts black belts don't know about real-world self-defense? Of course you would, and Shidoshi Miller is offering them to you for free. Take advantage of this amazing opportunity by logging on to warrior-concepts-online.com right now and sign up for Shidoshi Miller's free newsletter, and you'll receive the free ebook Fight Smarter, Not Harder. You'll get critical lessons for being more safe, secure, and prepared, tips for overcoming the victim mentality, and 19 principles you must know for surviving a real-world street attack it's free and easy to sign up so do it right now warrior-concepts-online.com fight smarter not harder what you need to know about surviving a real world street attack we're back with our third segment of this episode of kuden and it's using meditation training to improve your self-defense abilities um i think a lot of people maybe really haven't thought about the two kind of complementing each other and thought maybe it's two separate things. There's there's meditation and working on my mind, and then there's physical training and self-defense training, and the two maybe work, as we talked earlier, compartmentalized by people into two separate things. But well, and really... again, you know, um, people have their ideas about what training is supposed to be. There are these preconceived notions. Right. Okay. And one of the biggest things that, that the student really needs to get is what the goal is, what you're supposed to be working on. Okay. Unfortunately, people bring preconceived notions, whether they've ever had any martial arts training or not. And unfortunately, the more prior training they have, the worse off they are coming to this kind of training because, you know, let's just say somebody calls the academy and, information about what we're doing and what you know how we train and all that and they ask the question do you spar right uh how do i answer that right uh yes we do but not the way most people think of sparring right Right. we've got things broken down into phases and levels we can talk about that some other time but you know that we do it just looks different eventually it looks like what everybody's doing but the end result and what you're able to do is just way different from what yeah. most people are doing when they quote unquote spar, right? So, but I'm I I don't understand what I'm missing as the person trying to answer the question is where this person is in their head. Yeah, do they want to spar or are right. they afraid of sparring? Yeah, why ask that question? Why ask that yeah. question? Right. So my answer to their question is another question. <laughs> why are you asking? No. Do you want to spar? Uh. And then they're going to tell me this story about oh yeah I'd love to I was in X Y Z and uh-huh. I really you know it turned me on or uh, you know I took this class one time and we did the sparring and it just I got hurt and uh, whatever right? right so now I can address things from that direction okay? yeah but there's lots of things that we go on and again this is part of that bushi no me right mm-hmm. it's your base of knowledge and how do you approach things and how mm. do you act how do you respond right it's part of that hogan mm-hmm. right um, part of this understanding right part of that that I thing that we didn't talk about was the the knowledge about how your eye works and what range of of energy is perceived as light to us 
It's very different from a dog or an amoeba or whatever, right? Right. So sight-defined for us is not all that there is. And mm-hmm. yet most people walk through the world saying, unless I can see it, feel it, taste it, touch it, hear it, whatever, it doesn't exist. And I don't give a shit about it. Really. From my experience, um, I can feel colors. Mm. You can feel sounds. Right? right. Sound is nothing but recognizing vibrations. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how sensitive is your sense of touch mm-hmm. to where you can feel sounds as opposed to hearing sounds, mm-hmm. right? That kind of thing. So anyway, um, and, and this goes with meditation as well. So whenever I do a meditation, seminar, retreat, online class, whatever, the first question that gets asked to everyone is, what's meditation? Because unless we're talking about the same thing or you understand what I'm conveying when I use the word meditation, right? half learning or no learning is occurring. Mm-hmm. Okay? If your learning is assumptive learning, you think you know what I'm talking about, then you're going to get the end results of that processing. That's very different than if you are on the same sheet of music and you know what I'm talking about. You're going to get a very different result. Right. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Okay. So for a lot of people, meditation is this thing where you sit in this position where your legs are twisted like a pretzel and your hands are in this position in your lap and your eyes are closed and you're what? You're focusing on your breathing. You're counting breathing. You're doing contemplation meditation. You're thinking about things. You're visualizing. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, this is a product of our language. Okay, we really don't have words for these these things because this is still relatively new in our country. So right, I've been here for a couple of decades. Right, yeah, maybe a century. I've got a, a book or two that was written just after the you know 1900 change kind of thing. Mm. Right, I mean way way back. But again, we're not talking 2,500 plus years. Right, that it's been going on in some countries. Right, yeah where they have different languages or they have different words for these different things. They have different words for the different parts of mind. They have different words for the different types of meditation, right, to describe them. Hmm. We, what do we have? Meditation, meditate, contemplate, visualize. Uh, okay. It's kind of like being an Eskimo and having six different words for snow Yeah. because you're defining different types of snow. What do we have? Snow. Mm-hmm. Right? No, we have sleet. Yeah. But we know the difference between sleet and snow. But there's, to an Eskimo there's, who sees snow all the time, there's six different right. types of snow. Right? To a Japanese person, there's six to eight different words for friend. Right? Depending on your relationship to that person and how you're classifying them. They're a friend at work. They're that kind mm-hmm, of thing. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, we have, oh, he's a friend from work. Or you have to go into this deep definition of, uh, right. well, I don't really know him that well. He's a, Friend, but you know, I'm friendly with him. And, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, that kind of thing, right? Um, I have some Japanese friends that that look at me and they go, "I I've learned English and it's one of the most difficult languages I've ever learned." Right? Yeah. Right. You're so lucky that you were born speaking this language, and based on the way your language is put together, I have no idea how you speak <laughs> clearly about anything that you're trying to convey. Yeah. It's no wonder that you have all these miscommunication errors and, and stuff like that. Mm. But anyway, we start with meditation. So what is meditation, right? To most people, meditation is this 
is this act or action or activity, right? To them, it's a verb. It's right. something you something do. Something you do, sure. Right. You sit and you meditate, or for some people, you walk and you meditate, whatever, right? But it's a verb. It's an action, right? But in reality, let's go back to reality, shall we, right? Meditation, in the context of the old Buddhist studies, the old Vedic things and all that, these traditions where this stuff started, right? Meditation is a state of mind. It's a, it's a mental function that's fully active and mm. working in the moment, right? Mm -hmm. Which one? Right. There are several different functions, mm -hmm. so several different states of mind, right? Are you in a state of clarity and observation where you're only taking in the sensory input? You're not clouding it. We, again, we talked about this with right. Ushinome, right? right. <clears throat> that's very zen-like. Right? You're just observing. Mm -hmm. You're just, you're tasting, you're touching, you're hearing, you're seeing, but you're not twisting it. Mm -hmm. Okay? The mind in this case is like a perfect mirror. No scratches, no dings, no dents or whatever. You don't get the funhouse effect. The mind reflects back exactly what's in front of you. Okay? So... <clears throat> You also have this ability to watch or follow things, right? To to see to be able to follow this karmic chain. That's what allows us to watch a movie and follow the storyline, or read a book and comprehend as we go along. It's not word, 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 and it makes no sense. It's yeah, being able to hold on to those things, right? And being able to follow the logic of something, right? Mm -hmm. Listen to a story, communicate with your friend, do this show, listen to the show, that kind of thing, and be able to follow along. Right. Your mind has this capability, right? Um, it's also used for contemplation, uh, calling up past moments, learning from things, whatever, right? And then we have the ability to visualize. Now, these are pr primary functions. These are the three primary functions, right? We have the capability of doing many more things, but all of these things are really just combinations of these three primary functions, right? There are other ones in there, but these are the things you can work with, mm. okay? And we can visualize, right? You can plan out what you need to get at the grocery store, whether you close your eyes or plan a trip to wherever you're going to go, right? Yeah. And you can see this, or you can visualize, visualize a conversation that you had with a friend, or you can visualize things that don't exist, right? We, can, we might call them alternate realities, but whenever I do that, people think I'm like getting all woo-woo on them and stuff. But, you know, if you've ever sat down and thought about, you know, meeting somebody and what that would be like or whatever, mm. that doesn't exist. It's a freaking alternate reality. Right. Okay? Now, the cool part in Mikio is being able to visualize that and then make it happen in the world. Mm. You did that. Yeah, Japan. Yeah, you did it during a Goma thing. You visualized all this stuff. And on a mountaintop in Japan, you told me it happened. Here yeah. I am. Ta-da! Right? <laughs> um, not magic, right? It was no. a lot of hard work to it, but it was amazing how when you put all those things together, how the world started tossing extra things at you, like money and opportunities and stuff. You know, yeah. There was a point where, okay, I put this in motion, but based on my paycheck, I'm not sure this is going to happen. But it's amazing how when you really start to focus and you get these other activities involved, yeah, you really start to recognize things, right? And it's almost like with that that Hogan that we talked about, right, where you have this universal eye. It's almost like the universe has an eye as well. Like, you're doing all the right things. Let's slip you a little bonus here mm -hmm. along the way. But is the universe really slipping you a bonus, or are you now capable of seeing more things because you're in tune and focused on what you need 
and you recognize it when it pops up. Right. You didn't just blow past it. Now it's twenty twenty hindsight. Shit, missed that. Right. Okay. People go through their lives with ah, missed opportunities. Anyway, so meditation is a state of mind. All right. So looking at these three primary functions, you're able to stop the chatter. This Zen-like mind, right? This mm-hmm. this uh, shamatha meditation. Okay. This stopping, ceasing. Okay. To where your pure observation. It's pure experience. You're just in the moment, okay? Um, there's processing going on. It's just not left brain talking to yourself, assumptions, filtering, that kind of thing. Yeah. The rest of your brain, that subconscious, unconscious, all those things that left brain really doesn't have access to, that part of us that thinks that it's all that, and it's really just this small function, mm-hmm. right? Um, these other things are then free to process and do what they're supposed to do, Right. So you can be pure action. Hmm. Okay. Um, contemplation, this ability to follow and assess and, and, and make sense of what's going on, right, allows us to read somebody, read their intentions, look at their actions and see what it looks like they're setting up to do and all that, right? I think that might have a place in a self-defense situation. Sure, right? Absolutely. And then visualize, right? Um, a lot of people don't have training partners, but you could get one of my videos, watch the technique, and then close your eyes and visualize yourself being attacked and going through the motions and doing the technique. Athletic scientists and, and sports trainers have been using this technique for decades yeah. where they will sit a team down and they'll do visualization training while the other half of their team is actually out shooting hoops. And then when they put them out there back on the, on the, on the, uh, on the court, the guys who are visualizing are as good as, if not better, than the guys who are actually doing the physical hmm. shooting. And what it comes down to is what they've discovered or what they, they, they think is going on is the guys who are shooting the hoops have to take their successes or failures in real time, and that affects their subconscious image of themselves. Mm-hmm. The guys who are visualizing are successful with their shots every single time right? because they're in control of the visualization. Mm-hmm. So their self-image of making the shot, whenever they let it go, is just... Now, it's not that they don't need physical practice as well. I'm not saying yeah. to cut it all out. But those people who are out there who, you know, are always lamenting to me, I'm a training partner, there's nothing for me to do. Really, I can give you a list of about 50-some things that you could be doing as a solo training student. Mm-hmm. And if you're in my online training program, you're going to get those those kind of things, right, to do. Meditation's one of these things, okay? So how does it fit in for self-defense, Okay. It's really a time-distance-based problem, okay? In a situation, if, if we're only focused on physical things, we're going to be thinking about what he's doing. We're going to be thinking about what we could do. We're going to be focusing on wanting, wanting to do our favorite technique or whatever. When the reality is, is that we look at this mental state kind of thing, right? There's two different perspectives we can use. One is... There's certain places in the context of a fight situation that if your mind is in the wrong place, you're never going to see him mm. launch that attack. He's going to nail you. Mm. Okay. So one of it is controlling mindset. Okay. And the other part of it is being able to bring this in as a tool, as another weapon to maximize your effectiveness in any given moment. Okay, so let's take a look at these, right? So we have these three different things. We have 
the stopping Zen-like meditative, meditative mind where you're just you're not you're not processing left brain conventionally. There's yeah. no chatter, that kind of thing. You're in the moment, and it just feels like instinctive, pure action kind of thing, right? Right. And then there's this contemplation, reading, assessing kind of mindset, right? This this watching kind of thing, right? Um, so it is, it could be talking. It, it's assessing. It needs more time, hmm. right? And then there's this visualization, right? This this being able to enhance your training, enhance your techniques by being able to solidify the technique in your mind, and then of course that kind of works into the body. And if you can visualize while you're going through the motions with your body, you can wire these things together. Hmm. Okay, <clears throat> but this can actually help affect your your sense of timing and all those kind of things because visualizing. And the cool thing about this is that a lot of people think this is woo-woo. Scientists know that your subconscious mind can't tell the difference between an image reflecting in the mind that comes through the portal of the eyes and a mentally gem generated image. It can't tell the difference. Hmm. So you can build up all these positive experiences by doing this thing, right? So let's look at this time spatial relationship to a self-defense situation, okay? I don't want to be closing my eyes or coming up with some kind of visualization anywhere near a fight area. So visualization is actually used for being way away from it. We're in the dojo, mm. right? It's all about training, right? okay? We're way away from danger. We have to be in a safe setting, that kind of thing. So that's where that type of meditation fits. It's for skill, proficiency, enhancement, mm -hmm. okay? That kind of thing. So it's a training tool, right? It's just like any other training drill. You're just going to do it from a mental standpoint instead of a physical thing, right? Okay. The closer I get to the fight, but I'm still outside of range. He mm -hmm. can't reach me with his fist, his weapons, whatever. Right. Okay? Can't touch me yet. I'm beyond that one step that he would have to take to touch me. Mm -hmm. Okay. If I'm not maximizing the opportunity to watch him, to read him, to pay attention to what kind of clothing he's wearing because it'll have certain qualities to it that will restrict certain types of movement, make other types of movement effective. You know, if this guy's wearing tight jeans because he's going out to the clubs that night and he's going to look sharp for the girls, I don't give a shit how good he is at Taekwondo kicks. Mm -hmm. He's going to hurt himself. Okay? <laughs> if he's going out on a dance floor and he's wearing smooth bottom shoes, he's not in bare feet, he's not in, you know, Taekwondo kicking sneakers or whatever, and he's not on a tacky floor, he's on a slippery dance floor, oh, please throw that kick at me. <laughs> Friction and gravity will take care of you more than I could ever do. It'd <laughs> yeah. just be great, right? Um, you know, is he wearing a jacket in July? Mm -hmm. uh, okay, he's packing something. Okay, because it's just it, wrong wrong thing. Yes, sir. You get a chance on eat at Camel Beach. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'll get that for you. Sorry, go ahead. No, okay. Um, so maximizing and paying attention, right? Um, prior knowledge, prior study would would allow me to, you know, recognize certain martial arts styles or to be able to recognize certain fight styles. You know, how does a wrestler set himself up? How does a how does a uh, a boxer set himself up that looks different than the way a Taekwondo guy does things, right? So then when I'm when I'm doing this assessing, I can let this sense of knowing, right, that, again, that insight, right, mm. start to pay attention, right, to, to pick things up. But when I 
get close to the edge of that kukan, that space of potential, where if either one of us enters it, we better be right, right? And we better not be sticking anything in there that we're not willing to give up for the rest of our lives, okay? So the closer I get to uh, both of us being able to touch each other, the more I have to let that assessing mind go, Hmm. and I literally have to be able to throw a switch and become Zen mind, okay? So one skill is Zen meditative practice. comes from Zen meditation practice, being able to seize things, right? One skill is being able to assess and contemplate and be able to read things, right? One skill is to be able to visualize. But there's a fourth skill. In the Zen watching dichotomy, there's a skill in there that I have to be able to throw a switch and become the right mind in the moment with no residual leftover from the Mm. other side. Because if I back out of range and I'm trying to read him, but I'm stuck in Zen mind, what I have is a kind of a duh feeling where I have to wind up into it. Mm. And if I need to switch over to Zen mind right now because shit's happening, or I'm assessing him and his ally comes from my side, and suddenly I have to be in Zen mind, and I can't get out of processing mode, yeah. it's going to slow everything down. So in Tendai, in this in this one Mikyo uh, school that I've been initiated into, there's uh, Shikan meditation, which is actually practicing in meditation to go back and forth between these two things. Mm. A bell may ring, or a block, or a stick may be hit, or whatever, and the, that's the signal to go to single-pointed focused meditation watching your breath or candle flame or whatever. And when it's signaled again, they'll ask a question or make a statement or whatever, and you immediately have to start processing and seeing what your mind does with that hmm. piece of input kind of thing. And it's the ability, it's, it's this practicing to go back and forth between the two. So anyway, um, that's how it fits to hmm. me. Uh, it's, it's another tool, and it's another way to increase my effectiveness in there because it's not self-defense and this martial arts proficiency and all that is not just about physical techniques. If it were, everyone that's ever learned a kata or ever learned a skill would be a freaking master. And there's a huge difference between a technician, between a martial arts practitioner, between a self-defense practitioner and somebody who's an expert, who's a master, who just mm. seems like they can, they'll, they, they're breaking the rules or they've got so much stuff under control that there's no freaking possible way that this guy could even touch them. And if he does touch them, there's a rain of hell about the, you know, it's like he walked into the bear's den, right? And woke yeah. up from hibernation. Right. Oh, shit. Right? <laughs> that kind of thing, right? So it's this huge, huge difference. Um, so a lot of this mental work, right, for strategy, for tactical planning, yeah. Uh, and for just being in the right mental state at certain distances and, and relationships to the attacker makes a huge difference in knowing which technique, when, how much, where. And again, it's without all that intellectual processing because in the moment, face-to-face with somebody, if you can't slip a mushadori on somebody, if you can't execute a certain technique or skill at full speed when he's throwing whatever, and you've got 200 of a second to process it, then you can't do it. I don't care how good it looks in the dojo. I don't care, you know, how many tests you've passed by demonstrating that skill or whatever. You haven't trained with it long enough 
and often enough to be able to do it in different contexts against different types of attacks and being able to recognize it in the moment and just catch it. Because mm. you're not doing it. Yeah. You're catching it, right? So going back to this whole meditation thing, right, the the first thing that people need to start with is is this idea that meditation is a noun. Meditation is a state of mind, okay? So what is meditative practice? Is that crap then? No. It's exactly that. Meditation practice, what most people think of as meditation, is practice holding your mind in that state and keeping it there in the face of more and more distractions so that you're actually able to slip into and out of these things at will, not accidentally, because we often do it accidentally, right? At will with all kinds of stuff going on. I know lots of people that meditate, but they get pissed off because a truck goes by or, boy, I was doing really well until they opened the door. and So you really can't meditate unless it's perfectly quiet. Anybody hmm. can meditate when it's perfectly quiet. Right. Right, but can you slip slip into the Zen mind when the kids are screaming and the dogs barking? Because you better be able to do that if somebody kicks in your door during a home invasion, and the kid and the wife are screaming and the dogs barking, and you need to focus on what's important mm -hmm. to take the right action. Because if your brain scrambles and you need to yell, "Shut up! I can't think," you're dead. Right. Because you don't need to be thinking in that moment. You need to be reading and or you need to be acting, depending right. on your relative distance to this guy. Hmm. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. So, how's that? That's great. I know <laughs> I know. there's got to be lots of questions about uh, about that, some from where to start to what they're already doing. And you can direct those questions to warriorc at warrior-concepts-online.com to get those to Shidoshi Miller. And again, check that website, warrior-concepts-online.com. Lots of good information. You can follow up on more of these and other topics. There's great ebooks available there as well. So see what's there. It's a wealth of information, warrior-concepts-online.com. And thanks again for joining us on this episode of Kuden. Thank you for listening to Kuden. The podcast for self-defense and martial arts news, interviews, techniques, and history. For more information on upcoming martial arts seminars, camps, and classes, call 570-988-2228. Or log on to www.warrior-concepts-online.com. That's 570-988-2228 or www.warrior-concepts-online.com.